Hello, and welcome to LSA's Sermon-Based Podcast. Pastor Brian will be kicking off our new series, Uncomfortable. For the next four weeks, we will be going through Acts and focusing on the early church. We hope you enjoy our content and pray that you are blessed by the Word of God today. And now, here is Pastor Brian. Good morning. It's uh, wonderful to worship and to uh, gather together around God's word. We do this on a regular basis. And so welcome to all of you here uh, that have joined us in this, in in the building. But also I want to just thank everybody that's joining us online. Uh, We recognize that you're there. And when we are worshiping, we know that by the Spirit, he's joining our hearts together with yours. There's been a lot going on in the world today. Uh, in this world, especially over this last week. And one, I think, major shift in our world, a change that will go down and a reminder of something that happened in history was the death of the queen. Now, in Canada, we don't think about the queen very often, but it is something that is um, monumental because of the kind of person that she was. The kind of person that she was. Here's the most important. Is the most important thing about the queen that she ruled well for 70 years? No, it's not the most important thing. Is the most important thing that she was married for 72? It's not the most important thing. It's a good thing. She was a child of the Lord. That was the most important thing. And here's the thing. You find me another ruler, even if it's just a head of state, you find me another head of state that was as passionate and willing to live by faith throughout her whole life. This isn't something where she just had to put a show on for four years just to get reelected and then the second term be able to do what she wanted. This is somebody that was under the camera, under the lens constantly. And remember, you may have seen the clip of her in when she was 21 years old and becoming, uh, was the now heir apparent. And she said, she, whether her life was long or short, she was going to dedicate her life to her people. It's pretty amazing. That's the kind of thing I think we're he- about here. When we talk about transformation, we're not talking about transformation for a day. We're not talking about it for a term. She is an example to us of what it is to live as a faithful believer, whether people liked it or not, doing what you believed to be right, following the truth from today until the day that you die. Now, there's many people here that will remember. Does anybody here remember her coronation? I do not. I I was not. Okay, I do see a couple hands. I am pointing out age here, I think, a little bit. Uh, When we start talking, people that remember the coronation, um, there will be people that remember uh, many parts of her life. And I think that's what we're trying to leave here, a legacy. One that people can look back and say, that group at LSA, wow. They were faithful through their lifetimes, and they brought glory to God's name. Our sermon series uh, for uh, this week is uncomfortable. It's for the, actually for the next four weeks. It's uncomfortable, and it's going to end on October 2nd. October 2nd is a really important day that I want you to put in your calendar, because we are going to have a town hall meeting. Now, this town hall meeting may be one of the most important town hall meetings that we are going to have in the next five years, at least. It may be a monumental town hall meeting. 
I'm all saying this just to get you jazzed up and get you at the meeting. Now, October 2nd, you're going, that's a Sunday. That's right. It is a Sunday. We're going to have our service. Then we're going to have potluck. Now everybody cheer, right? Potluck. <laughs> you know what? You know what's the strangest thing? I haven't eaten with my congregation yet. It's not, not, and you think, well, that's not strange, is it? Every time I ever have gone to a church, the first thing we would do is have a potluck, and we'd all sit down, and we'd meet together, and we'd eat together around a table. We're going to get a chance to do that on October 2nd, and then we're going to come back here around 1230, and we're going to have a congregational town hall. So it's not a meeting per se, but we need to have a conversation. We need to talk about where our church is going. We need to talk about the things that have happened in the PCC. We need to talk, and we just need to talk about it. We don't have to, we don't want to get worried about trying to make decisions or not. We just want to let our hearts be open and be able to share with one another. So make sure that you're here for that. The sermon title for this Sunday is Giving Up Your Reputation. And we're looking at Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you for this uh, text that reminds us about the double-edged sword of following your spirit, that there are great things that happen, but sometimes we have to give up our reputation with the world uh, to allow those things to happen in our lives. Lord, we just pray that you would, in this message, in this, in this opening of your word, that you would help us to be filled with the spirit, that we might go out courageously declaring your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you ask any of my family, they will tell you that one of my dreams has always been to be a professor of theology. Now, it hasn't worked out that way. God has given me something even better, a wonderful church to preach in Sunday by Sunday. I think my first desire to be in academia came from the movies. I think a lot of people's choice of where they're going to go in their career maybe come from movies. Like School Ties, you remember, maybe remember that movie, or everyone's seen this movie, The Dead Poets Society. 
Dead Poets Society. You know, that was inspiring. I wanted to be like that. Or maybe it was just when I got to university and I found just a guy's great joy in hanging out in these old Gothic buildings and surrounded by books and learning. There was something that I just, even now makes me just shiver with joy. I just love it. I have to admit, there's a little bit of a, there was a little bit of an awe factor when it came to my professors. A professor was somebody who had gravitas, right? Somebody who had shown their academic ability and earned a measure of respect. I have to admit, there's more than just that respect. There was something else that was going on that made me desire maybe towards being a professor. You see, because ministers were decreasing in respectability when I was at university. You know, they used to at one time be, you know, these celebrated people. But all of a sudden, there was this decline in being a minister and telling somebody you're going through to be a minister wasn't something that got a lot of cheers, right? Well, becoming a university academic, there was, they were increasing in esteem and respect. So I was attracted to that academic image of respectability and wanted to be just like them. I was attracted to the idea of being a scholar that's represented here by the cap and gown. Now, in some schools... And even some churches today, academic gowns are worn regularly. They're worn, you know, some pastors will preach in an academic gown Sunday by Sunday. You'll go in and they'll have that black gown on. Um, then you'll get these professors and they wear it for usually special occasions. If you wear one of these kinds of gowns, you might get a chance to hold a gavel and lead a meeting. You might be given an honorary right to confer degrees on another. The cap and gown signify that you carry the weighty support of your university. It's your university saying, this guy knows what he's talking about. This woman knows what they're talking about. Now, what you might not know is internally at a university, degrees are ranked. So just because you have a cap and gown doesn't really mean everything because everybody has a cap and gown. It's about the stripes that you have. The color, the color of the little piece that goes around your neck. Because that tells you whether you have these high degree in physics or the lowly degree of theology. Is it a high degree or is it a low degree? And they kind of rank. Now, theology probably comes out yeah, probably in the middle. Uh, I'm probably being generous. Probably the bottom of the middle at best. But even being part of this group in the middle requires that you hold to a very liberal view, a culturally acceptable view on just about every issue of the day. Now, this isn't always the way it was. University used to be a place where you could go and ask questions. No longer. Now you just come and you're told, think this, do this, act this way. The one thing that is unex uh, absolutely unacceptable at university is to have an evangelical worldview. You cannot believe, for instance, that Christianity has some superior claim on the truth or that the Bible is the inerrant and infallible purveyor of ultimate truth for all people in all time. That's crazy. Even They wouldn't even let a professor of theology say that. And here's the thing. Take a biblical position on any, any moral issue. Uh, anything from creation to morality, and the eyes of the university, in the eyes of the university and the faculty, you're exchanging your cap, this wonderful, beautiful cap for something much different. 
for a clown's wig. No longer will people take you seriously. They will laugh at you. They will deride you as a religious nut, and they will ignore you. Now, remember what I said about academics. Why did a lot of academics get into this? Because of respectability. They liked people listening to them. They liked people thinking that what they said was important. So how hard would it be for an academic to all of a sudden um, be put with a clown's wig and told what they said was funny and how hard it would be to be laughed at? And we're going to find out this morning that uh, the early Christian community followed and loved the Lord, but the world around them didn't see this as wisdom. They saw this as laughable belief, laughable actions. Our first point, God's gift of the Holy Spirit, verses 1 to 4. I remember when my kids were growing up, uh, we as a family would watch Anna Green Gables a lot. Did anybody else have to watch lots of Anna Green Gables? I say have to. Some people are like, no, no, I wanted to. Okay, so you guys watched Anna Green Gables. We watched it as a family over and over and over again. And there is this uh, one scene that stood out to me. And it's when Anne is standing in front of Marilla in a dress. Now, there's a bunch of dresses that Marilla has made for her. And Marilla asks her, how do you like them? And Anne says, I can imagine I like them. Have you ever been given a gift that you didn't like and then tried not to hurt the person's feelings by really imagining that you like that gift? You're doing it for the sake of the giver. This isn't something we have to worry about with God. God is the great gift giver. He knows just what we need, and just as I was saying with Susan and timing, he knows just when to give it. Here in our text in verse 1, it says, there's this group of people, and they've all gathered together in one place. They were all together, all together, and they were doing something. We have to investigate that a little bit. What we find, as, find out is, is that they're waiting for the promised gift of the Spirit. As Jesus was going into heaven, he told them, you have to wait for the gift of the Spirit. Go to Jerusalem and wait for this gift. Now, who are these people waiting together in Jerusalem? It's a group of believers that have seen Jesus, again, ascend into heaven 10 days earlier. In Acts chapter 1, verses 14 to 15, it says that there were 120 of these people gathered together in prayer. They were gathered together in prayer, and note, very importantly, that it included men and women. This isn't just a group of men. The coming gift of the Spirit that is promised is not promised for somebody of a certain age or gender or status. It is going to come on these believers. It's not only the apostles, and some people have, missed, I think, mixed this up, and they go, oh, it's just, a, it's just the apostles that are having the Spirit come down on them. No, this is the Spirit coming down on all of the believers. Everyone can be blessed with the gift of the Spirit. This gift isn't wrapped up in paper. This gift is not hidden away that needed to be found. Rather, they just waiting. They don't have to search for it. They just have to wait for it. And so they're faithfully gathered and encouraging one another in the faith. Now, while Jesus had told them to wait for the gift of the Spirit, he didn't tell them how long they would have to wait 
or what it would look like when the Spirit arrived. He didn't say, okay, wait for these things, and when you see it, you'll know the Spirit came. He didn't say anything uh, about that, so they had no clue. But when the Spirit came, there was no doubt that the Spirit had come because there was an audible, visible sign manifesting itself in this miraculous inspired speech. It says that when the Spirit came, they were, no, and this is, this is important, some of these kind of back room things, things you don't usually look at, are actually really important. It says they were seated. Now, why is it important that they were seated? It's because people back in that day didn't pray when they were seated. They knelt or they stood. So I think what we're getting here is they're just doing life together. It's not like they're in some ecstatic worship. They're not in this place, in this zone, you know, thinking about God. They're just doing life together. They're sitting down. They're chatting about their kids. We've got to remember these people are just people. And just like us, they worry about their kids. They were going to be worrying about their spouse, about the business, about the farm and how things are going to be going. And so they're, they're going to be chatting about all sorts of things. They're seated. They're talking about life. As a result, I doubt they're expecting the intensity, or they're not expecting the gift necessarily, and they're not expecting the intensity of the gift. Verse 2, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind filled the whole house. Now, it's really important before we get digging into the really theological terms here uh, that we look at the important word, like. It was like the sound of the wind. In other words, scrolls are not being scattered here. There's no hair being mussed up when the sound came. It wasn't accompanied by a physical manifestation of a movement of air. It wasn't actually wind. Instead, it was a spiritual thing that registered in the normal way, kind of the wind might. And so they're, trying to, they're reaching for words here to describe this. The sound is not like a gentle breeze. It's not like the still, small voice. Remember uh, um, uh, Isaiah? He's on the mountain and he hears and the voice doesn't come in the thunder. He doesn't come in the lightning. It comes in the still, small voice. Not here. God doesn't come quietly here. He comes like a violent wind, like a tornado would be a way to describe it. So this sound isn't on the periphery like, did you hear that? What was that? We're listening, kind of hear something, not sure if I'm hearing it. No, this sound fills their consciousness. It fills their mind's attention. It fills the whole house where they're staying. An important connection here to be made is uh, another connection between Wind and spirit. In the Bible, these two things are often connected, wind and spirit. The wind is an analogy for the spirit. It is, seen, though it's, uh, it is not seen, though its effects are. There's also a, collect, a close connection between the two words in the Greek. The two words in the Greek are connected with this word pneuma. And pneuma can have a double meaning. It can mean both wind and it can also mean spirit. So this spirit wind, this pneuma enters in and dials in their attention. They are attentive. They're ready to see what God is going to do. And what he's going to do is inaugurate a new ministry. He's going to inaugurate the church. He's going to bring the church together under this new power, this power that has come down from heaven 
It's come down from heaven, and it is the Spirit. And it says that tongues of fire come to rest on each of these people, these 120. Remember, not just 12, 120. But again, not actual bits of fire, right? Using words similar uh, to like, the author says what seemed to be or like So the analogy is being used here again as well. All the believers, men and women, young and old, are given these tongues of fire. The image of tongue not only represented kind of an anatomical feature, a thing, but in the Greek language, it referred to speech or language. That's what's going to happen to them, right? They're going to be able to speak. There's something new that's going to happen in their lives. Now, just as the believers in that day were filled with the Spirit, empowered so they can be filled with the Spirit. So we too are empowered with the Spirit. We can be filled with the Spirit. You today can be filled with the Spirit. Now you're only baptized. This is an important theological idea, something to keep in the back of your mind. You can only be baptized once in the Spirit. You can only be baptized once in the Spirit. In that moment, you are fully transformed by the Spirit when you become a Christian. You are cleansed. Everything is made new. You are baptized in it. It it covers you, it comes through you, and you are made perfect in Christ. However, filling happens over and over and over and over again. Paul actually commands continuous filling. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit comes as we, what? As we empty ourselves. You can't fill something that's already filled. You have to empty it first. We have to empty ourselves of our selfish ambition. We have to confess our sinful habits. We have to turn to Christ. We have to submit our lives to Him. And when we do this over and over again... This is the opportunity for the Spirit to come in and fill you and to transform your life. And as the Spirit comes in, you don't have to make this happen. Your life starts to change. You're going to look different. You're going to speak different. You're going to act different. To the world, you're going to look comical right? Where they took you and you were believing all the things they believed. You valued all the things they valued. You were a wise person. But now all of a sudden you're acting different. You're thinking different. You're, you're talking different. You're engaged in different behaviors. And they're like, hold on. This is a joke. Is this a joke? Why are you making all these changes? But there's another group of people that are out in the world and around us who are going to recognize our transformation as the result of the wisdom of God, the spirit of God, coming into us, and they're actually going to benefit from it. Um, Our second point, the gift of the Holy Spirit on other God-fearing people, verses 5 to 12. When we associate with people who are God-filled, Spirit-filled, who are filled with the Spirit, we are blessed by them. Have you noticed that? When you are with somebody else who's a really faithful believer, that encourages your life. All of a sudden now, you have this strength and this encouragement to go on and live that Christian life. It's one of the reasons that in Hebrews it tells us to not give up uh, gathering together or meeting together as a congregation. This was one of the dangers of, of COVID. One of the, COVID, one of the dangers of COVID lockdown 
And I'm not speaking about it in any kind of political way. I'm speaking about it of the danger to the church. The danger to the church is that it separated us. And the Bible says, and what we see very clearly, is that this is a dangerous thing for Christians. Christians need each other because the wise are able to share their wisdom through just the way they live and through their conversation with the younger generation, with people younger than them, with people older than them. So this is really important. And one of the, one of the things we, if we were ever to be locked down again, one of the things we would have to be praying for would be the, the pain that people are suffering by being separated from other believers and not being able to grow maybe in their faith quite the way they would do when we're together. When the church as a whole operate, uh, opens itself to the filling of the Spirit and is filled, it unifies the church, right? It makes us a wise group all together. And it blesses each person that's part of it. Again, so as we do this, as we come together, as we're filled with the Spirit, we bless other people. Then there's those outside the community. There's a lot of people out there that are looking for a church to be part of. How should they decide which church to be part of? Well, if they love the Lord, what they're going to be looking for, what they should be looking for is, where is there a Spirit-filled people? Where is there a people that are following after God that are going to encourage me to do the same thing, that are going to give me the strength and the ability to uh, even deeply, more deeply love the Lord? Our love for the Lord, our love for one another, our love for His commandments and His Word through the filling of the Spirit is the best way to witness to a watching world. A world is watching, and the best way for us to witness to them is be filled with the Spirit. It's even great for those that are looking for a new church home. This is what happens in verse 5. Look what it says. There were God-fearing Jews that were overhearing something going on. Now, these God-fearing Jews. Interesting, the adjective, right? Put in, it's not just Jews. It's God-fearing Jews. So obviously, there is a separation in the mind of the author. There's the Jews, and then there's the God-fearing Jews. So this is a subset of Jews. They had stuck around for Pentecost. So remember, all the way back to Passover. Passover had been, was 50 days before. And all of these people had traveled for the Passover, and the, the devout stayed in Jerusalem for 50 days to celebrate Pentecost. While everyone else had gone home, they were still there. And a sound, it says, we're not sure what that sound was. The sound they heard could have been, you know, the Spirit. Maybe they heard that same rushing sound, or it's the cacophony of sound coming from all of these uh, believers speaking. So they're drawn to the 125 or the 120 to figure out what's going on. In other words, the Spirit was not hidden. I find it interesting, you know, sometimes I think in our Christian lives we want to hide our faith, but here the faith isn't hidden. Now the Spirit is not kind of put within four walls. The world is hearing this happening. They're, 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 they're witnesses to it. Now at some point, the, these uh, pious Jews come together and recognize this group of Galileans. This group of Galileans are speaking the language from their homelands. Now, in the cosmopolitan city of Jerusalem, where all these people coming from all over the world, there was a common language that everyone kind of spoke to be able to do business, right? Uh, Aramaic or Greek. 
Uh, that's what people would do. This is kind of like English in our world today. Uh, in, in English, English is often used as kind of the language of commerce. But this isn't what any of the Galileans are speaking. The 120 are speaking, verse 8, in foreign languages. Now that alone would not be enough to amaze everybody. Because anybody can learn foreign languages. What makes this really surprising is that these are Galileans that are speaking foreign languages. This is a bit of a slam here against Galileans. It's a bit of a slam. Why couldn't Galileans know other languages? They could. It was just very unlikely. Think about it. And you're, if you're in the midst of Toronto, you're right by U of T campus, would it be surprising to hear numerous languages at, in a church, at the mall, on the street? Would it, be, would it be weird? No. You're downtown Toronto, probably one of the most cosmopolitan cities in the world. You're expecting to hear all of those languages. But the Galileans aren't city dwellers. They're rural dwellers, a.k.a. hicks, rednecks. These are the terms that they would use for the Galileans, Right? So it's a bit of a slam here. If you went out to rural Ontario, you would expect it, and I, I, I've lived in a lot of small towns, so I, I'm a small town guy. You'd expect to hear one language, English, right? But if in one small rural church, you show up to this small rural church, you say, oh, you know, I'm on vacation, I'm going to check out this little cute church, and there's 20 people in it, and then all of a sudden, they just burst out in language, and we hear Persian French, Arabic, Spanish, Mandarin Chinese coming from a bunch of white guys. We go, okay, the spirit is here, right? Because we don't expect in rural Ontario, in a small little town with a bunch of white guys, that they'd be speaking all of these languages from around the world. So they're amazed by this. As the crowd continues to listen, they really understand that something amazing is going on. Verse 11, these Galileans aren't just talking at random about random things. They're communicating the wonders of God. Now, while this itself wasn't, ab this wasn't abnormal, but it's really important, this was a, the Jewish style of worship. If you look at um, uh, the Psalms, you'll notice that they recount the works of God. This is a normal thing. So the devout pious Jews recognize the 120, and this is why it's important that they're recounting the works of God. They realize they're not crazy. Because crazy people do not worship and praise God. They also realize they're not demonic. Because the, demo the demons do not honor God and recount his mighty deeds. So what is God doing? Through this group of Galileans. He's preparing them and their hearts of the, the crowd to hear about God's greatest deed. Sending his son to earth. Sending his son to earth to save humanity. To be the Messiah. Now, right after verse 13, Peter will go on to tell everyone that, about this uh, filling of the Spirit, what it means, and what happened. And he'll talk about Jesus as being the Jewish Messiah that had been prophesied years, years and years ago. The upshot of all of this, so 120 meet, all of this language stuff happens, Paul preaches, and 3,000 people become Christians that one day. Talk about a growth strategy, right? I love this. Because this had nothing to do with any of the people. We have to remember this. As much as we want to grow a church, and we can be faithful, we don't grow churches. 
God grows churches. What we do is we be faithful and say, God, we're going to do our, our part. And here's the thing, guys, if we, and this is going to be hard for me, who's a growth-oriented pastor to say, but it's absolute truth. If our numbers never increase beyond what they are today, and we spent our lives here in a dwindling number, and one person became a believer, it would be worth it. Amen? That's right. Because we are here not about the number of people being saved, but about the, one, the ones that Christ wants to save through us. We are simply a witness, and we trust that God is going to grow, and this is what happens. He does it next. 120 one day, 3,120 the next. But not everybody thought this was a miracle. Our third point, the world had a very different response to the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, one of the reasons people don't like to get up and speak, one of the reasons that people don't like to be singled out or be different from everyone else, you notice this with high school students? High school students, they, want to re they rebel and they, want to be, they say they want to be different. But what they want to be is different like all their friends. Have you noticed that? They want to be different like all their friends. I, I've told some youth that at times, if you want to be really different, wear a three-piece suit to school. That, that'll be different. That will get everybody's attention. But the reality is, is we don't want to be that different. We don't want to be different like that because we don't want to be singled out. We don't want to be what? We don't want to be laughed at. We don't want to be laughed at. Now, some of us are more sensitive to that possibility than others. But our Lord Jesus himself had to deal with being laughed at. Remember when Jesus is hanging upon the cross? The Bible, and often in our presentations, we focus in on what? The physical suffering of being on the cross. But I got a feeling some people would be more willing to suffer that than the emotional pain he had to suffer. What are they doing? Here he is exposed, his whole body, He's dying. People don't care. And what are they doing? They're laughing at him. They're making fun of him. Maybe at first, 120 have the fear of being made fun of, of being a laughing stock, of being a clown. But when the Spirit fills them, it changes everything, doesn't it? Some people will see them, and they do actually make fun of them. They call them clowns. They laugh at them, but filled with the Spirit, they don't worry about that any longer. Why? Because they've given up having a good reputation with people who are rebelling against God and living a worldly life. Guys, I do this myself. We worry about the opinions and the thoughts of people that are not, don't love the Lord. They aren't going the Lord's direction. They're not living for the Lord. And yet we spend all our time thinking about how to not have them laugh at us. Does that mean that these people have given up their reputation completely? That they have no reputation at all? They don't worry about reputation at all? No. But now they're concerned about their reputation with Jesus Christ, their Savior and King. Friends, the early church was not powerful, didn't make all this transformation uh, because they were the smartest, because they were the brightest, because they were the strongest, because they were the best. They were powerful because they relied on and were filled by the Holy Spirit. 
They were powerful because they courageously followed God, followed his commands, did what was right, and encouraged others to do the same thing. If you're a believer here this morning, you've been baptized in the Spirit. If you are a believer here this morning, you have been baptized in the Spirit. It's already happened. It's already a transformation has happened in your life. And you're now commanded to be filled over and over and over every single day with the Spirit through reading your Bible, through worship, through prayer. And this is something the, the Spirit wants to do for you. He wants to fill you. So as we empty ourselves of our sin, as we ask for forgiveness, as we empty ourselves of our agenda for the future, as we empty ourselves of our reputation in the world, giving it to God, we're going to look like clowns to the world. And that's going to make us super uncomfortable. But church, LSA, we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because once we've given our reputation to Him, once we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we will truly display the wisdom of God. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you that you have sent your spirit into this church, that you are transforming this church by the power of your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would come into every single person here today. Lord, that you would they would be transformed by this powerful spirit. Lord, if they're not believers today, I pray that there would be a baptism of the spirit in their lives, that they would become believers, those that are, not, are, that are believers. Lord, I pray that they would uh, have a, a passionate desire to be filled with your spirit. Lord, and that they would seek to empty themselves of their agenda, their reputation. Lord, they would give it all to you and that you would fill them with your wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to LSA's Sermon-Based Podcast. LSA exists to help people receive and develop a new life in Christ. If you were blessed by the message today and want to partner with us by supporting our ministry, you can by visiting our website, lsa.church slash give. If you are in our area, we would love for you to stop in and join us for our Sunday service starting at 10 a.m. or join us live online. Please take a moment and make sure you subscribe and hit that like button. And until next week, be blessed and we will see you soon.